Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Grassroots, the Minor Hockey Show podcast. I'm Richard Berkison with my guest co-host, Dean Holt. And I keep saying guest co-host, Dean, but after all these shows, maybe you're just co-host. How's that? Sure. Sure, why not? It brings with it a huge raise, so we'll just call you guest host or co-host. This show is, uh, we're exploring critical thought in coaching. Uh, specifically in minor hockey, of course, because that's what the show is about. And I guess the question I should be asking right from the outset is, is there critical thought in coaching minor hockey? Do coaches apply critical thought? And let's first find out what critical thought actually is. Dean, would you like to step forward and define critical thought? Sure. Um, I think that... I think a lot of people, a lot of coaches do think about things. And I think the difference, I'm going to use the word think a lot here today. The, I think the difference between a regular thought and critical thought probably lies in the depth and breadth of, of reflection in that thought. So while you might be presented with, I have an hour of practice coming up, what do I need to do in it? Well, I'm going to throw these four or five items together to fill up the time, and I'm going to start with a warm up. Uh, I'm going to do something here fun. Then I'm going to do a bunch of individual things here and a couple of things there, and then maybe I'll have a fun game at the end. So there's my five or six pieces or components to my um, traditionally structured practice that we're taught how to do. Um, where critical thought probably comes in more as a working definition there is the coach will then start to consider each component of the practice and how things mesh together or don't um, you know is there some sort of scope and sequence or progression or relationship to each other as you're developing practice aren't we talking about coaches needing to ask themselves what we are what are we going to do and why are we going to do it and when are we going to do it? Are we doing something where we're trying to achieve a certain objective by a certain period of time? Or uh, are we looking at it from a practice to practice situation? I got to prepare for next weekend's tournament. I got to prepare for the next two games, uh, which of course is nonsense. You can't really do that in minor hockey, nor should you. Are we talking about coaches needing to be reflective on uh, the approach they're taking that will help them get their players to a certain level of confidence and confidence by the end of the season. I certainly think there's a lot of what you said that comes into play here. It, it you know, and and then the critical thought is it's on its own is the ability to think deeply ab about the the depth and breadth of whatever the area is that you're you're considering and then how does that relate to the here and now like short term intermediate and long term how does it all fit in together so it's like a jigsaw puzzle piece and you've got several pieces and then you've got more pieces and more pieces until you have a a complete picture so how much you consider each piece and groups of pieces and putting borders around and starting to fill in you know maybe the outside so that you have an idea what's going to mesh on the inside by colors by shapes i mean so it's i guess you could use that metaphor as a jigsaw puzzle so really it's um reasonable and reflective thinking based on your perspective what you know now and seeking new perspectives and experimenting and and playing with it and fine-tuning and then making judgments on what you've done and trying something different or improving or enhancing or eliminating. So, you know, it's a really, uh, it's really, it is a thought exercise and, and it takes time and it takes time to practice in order to get good at it. And if, if we just sit down to fill an hour practice plan, throw some stuff down, move on, we don't analyze 
how do we think it went um, from our perspective as a coaching staff's perspective, maybe involving the players to see what their reactions were. Um, you know, I, I think we're, we're not, we're staying at a superficial or a, an overly general level of thought and we're not getting down into probably like an iceberg under the water where we're, that's where we can really make some good improvements in our own learning and teaching. You once referred to most minor hockey practices as Lego practices, just chop a block pieces built onto other pieces, different colors, different shapes to construct this practice, a Lego practice, meaning we're just going to throw some stuff together. And maybe if I have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, that it will mean something in the end. By the end of the practice, you have two practices a week. House league, you might have one, you know, at highly competitive levels, three maybe. Uh, and that the Lego practice, the putting putting pieces together will get you to whatever your objective is. Yeah, I, I remember that. I think you're right. When, whenever, if you play with Lego, it can be completely disassociative in the sense that there's no rhyme or reason but you can build something with it and yes. it might be shapeless. It might have colors that don't match. It's random. Um, and I think that that's in, in some instances that could be the approach that a, a coach takes where they just want to fill time. So there is some sort of structure, but then from day to day to day to day to week to month to season, what's the connectivity. And I think that, with those Lego pieces, you can start to organize and sort things by color, by size, um, and, and, and then build in such a fashion that it's going to actually resemble some shape at the end. In the school system, Dean, there's a lot of criticism about the fact that we don't teach critical thought. We don't teach analysis. I'm not talking about grade four necessarily, you know, certainly as the kids get older, that uh, we don't teach them to think, to analyze to uh, to be reflective about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Whether or not that's true is perhaps left for another discussion, another time. But if that's what we've gone through ourselves as as students through our high school years and even you know our, our university years, uh, are we expecting a lot of coaches? Should we be expecting more? But are we expecting a lot of coaches to be reflective of what they do in hockey practices when mostly they are falling back on what they did or what they've seen? Or as one coach told me, I took that drill from a junior team I saw and he's coaching kids that are, you know, both younger and far weaker than, you know, any junior team. Uh, what thought has gone into this? And the fact that coaches get their dander up that when you sort of face them and say, well, why are you doing this? And where does that fit into how children learn and what your expectations are for them over the course of a season? Should we be blaming the, the school system? Well, I think the, certainly you could look at a, a school system and just what process do they have in place? Like, I mean, it's been so long since I was in school, but I, um, you know, I I struggle to think back in the day of elementary to high school, but I know, you know, it's a I almost consider it a, a a buzzword these days. Critical thought it gets tossed around a fair bit, probably without a real clarity of of definition or understanding what it is and 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 what it looks like in practice. Um, it's just one of these buzzwords and. I can remember back to my undergrad days, sort of. And, you know, I, I think I did have a few professors that pushed me a little bit toward critical thought. And I had an awful lot, though, that I would, in my recollection, were busy work and jumping through hoops. When I look at the certification program, I think it's a lot of jumping through hoops and when I go to a, a, a deliver something, I rewrite the script. And um, sorry if uh, Hawk Albert is listening and Darcy Steen, but um, you know, uh, 
I think we have to involve the coaches more uh, often in these coaching clinics and task them with thought exercises and get them to share their opinions with uh, each other, but also try to interject periods of time where like 30 seconds where they, okay, I want you to think about this question, take 30 seconds. What does it mean to you? Here's the question, go. And then at the end of the 30 seconds, okay, at your table, please start to discuss this with other people. And then I'm walking around to hear what the discussions are, then we share it as a group. And it's something that I'm using a lot in the last probably five years since I started my PhD um, with other groups, coaching groups, players, teams. So I, I think the, you know, it's a pretty sweeping generalization to blame everything on uh, on a, a school group or a curriculum or tr coach training. But I think I think that critical thought, the ability to teach that from my perspective seems to be limited. So I would suggest that it is more busy work and monologues rather than dialogues or group thinking and group sharing. I want to get in a moment to the way you approach your practices right now um, with, uh, with your son Devin's group. But I, I just want to give a quick overview in defense of myself, my coaching approaches. Well, because, you know, when, you, when you've when you coached from soup to nuts, and I don't mean that the players were nuts or the parents were nuts or the, you know, or the whoever somebody else was, I mean, literally soup to nuts from, you know, the IP to junior A and all this other stuff. In junior A, the last junior A experience I had, we had, we were on the ice almost every day, which was way too much. The guys were bagged most of the time. Trying to create practices for that everyday environment, knowing how tired the guys were, uh, you know, Saturday at noon, Monday at five o'clock or whatever it was, was really, really challenging because you're trying to keep them engaged and, and interested and you know that they're just mentally tired, physically tired. Then you go to the other extreme I had in junior C where we practiced once a week. I think it was 10, 10 o'clock to 1130 at night. The, the up, side of that experience was that the team owner had a little bar in Embram where he served the best <laughs> wings and fries on the planet. And Mo Lemieux, if you're listening, this is to you, but uh, a fantastic owner, fantastic guy. So all the boys would go over to his place for wings and fries after practice or after home games that nobody had to pay for it. He covered it. But one practice of an hour and a half a week, and you had to get all the essential ingredients across to your team the, and and you really had to prioritize and you had to pick players who were able to to work with them within those limitations. Some of those guys came from midget AAA where they were practicing three or four times a week. Now all of a sudden they're practicing once a week, you know. And then you go to minor hockey where, you know, at the AAA level where you're practicing, I don't know, three, four times a week. And they're much younger. And yes, they're more pliable, but their needs are so broad that trying to figure out what what do I need to provide these players to allow them to have some of the tools to get them to the next level. So I probably pulled a lot of brain muscles over the years trying to figure out how do I how do I make it work at junior A, junior B, junior C, midget AAA, my son in Pee Wee House League, you know the the needs of every group were vastly different and the situations were vastly different. But the one commonality was I worked my butt off to create practices over the course of periods of time to try to draw the best out of the kids. I never cared about wins and losses except in junior A. Never cared about it. To my probably demise, <laughs> as a as a potential of you know coaching somewhere else i don't know i it doesn't matter so now let's let's segue over to you and your approach uh with this u15 u15 u16 what is it u15 yeah u15 yeah so this year it's u15 it's the second team so i don't know call it it's body checking too so tier 2 i don't know what you call it. it's competitive Last year, he was on um, non-body checking too. So last year was very much a, um, 
I, I, I would I perceived it to be more of a recreational um, team, you know, with their intent and their their motivations. And we only had 13 skaters, one goalie. So, and then we had COVID, and we. <laughs> You know, like we we did finish. I think we finished a game with eight or nine players. I mean, it was insane. And so, how I coached last year, it was a lot different than how I'm coaching this year because I think you have to take into account your client or your your group. And these kids are, you know, more motivated. Um, the probably their knowledge of the game is is a little bit higher overall. I mean, I had one kid last year in that team, uh, Parker, I'm going to use his name. He is probably one of the smartest kids I've ever coached in minor hockey. Um, that kid was phenomenal, great leadership skills, and he understood the the concepts and the principles of play. Like, I think he's going to be a heck of a coach one day, and uh, I'm glad he's still playing this year. Um, the team that we have this year, we've got 16 skaters and two goalies, so... I don't think I've had 16 skaters in minor hockey for I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to Timbits when you get a whole pile of kids on the ice and you got three or four teams sharing ice. And this is the first time I've had 16 skaters. It's unbelievable. You know, it's probably in 20, 30 years since when I was coaching triple a at, at this level, Batam and midget triple a. So I think the coach needs to take a look at their environment and, what's what are the kids expectations what's the expectations of that level that league and then you know you you adjust your approach uh, accordingly and you the first few practices that we've had here Richard we've only had we've had three or four here so far so a lot of it for me is getting used to what do we have because I, I only know one or two of the kids on the team from the past and so how I'm starting to shape my practice routine is I, I'm trying to set one or two intentions with each practice. So a purpose, like what is the purpose? And from there, then I start to design my practice based on what's my time allotment um, and what are some, some visible things that I can see or, or metrics that I can try to measure to see if those two intentions are being met. I have a question. When you say you set one or two intentions for the practice, are you using the word intentions? Yes. As a <laughs> wait a second, wait a second, as a euphemism for theme? No, no, I, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I think so. Maybe I shouldn't have said yes. I think my definition of intention is purpose. What are we doing today? So to me, theme is more of a broader generality. My intentions are very specific. I'm trying to cut out all the BS and all the generality. I'm getting right down to it. What is our intention today? So for example, on a uh, tactical line change, I'm looking for effort going on and coming off. And I'm also looking for tactical thought as you come on are you on offense or are you on defense where is the puck who else is on your in your grouping now I haven't gotten into all the details yet with the kids because I don't tell them this I, I start to plant questions and I have them start to figure this stuff out I don't want to tell them the, the answers to my questions I'm trying to leave things open-ended and I'm trying to facilitate them. If they don't understand my questioning, I change change it so that they do. And I'm trying to work them toward what my understanding of a tactical line change is and what that, what that means to me, what it looks like. And I facilitate this, and I've, and I've done this now for the last three or four practices, and we're working on it, and they're getting better and better. And sometimes the definition that I have in my head, like I don't profess to know it all, but sometimes the kids come up with things that are like, hmm, yeah, it's excellent. Like that's a good add-on. Like I like that. Let's 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 include that in my definition so I grow as a coach as well. But they come up with with stuff that's pretty good, and if and if they don't, I keep 
asking asking them more th questions and they they figure it out over time so for me a, a tactical line change is you know briefly is you you've got to be watching the play as it as it goes on you can't be sitting there talking about something else so there's you need focus on the bench you should be talking to your teammates and sorting out well out of our next four guys here who's the fastest skater who's the slowest skater does that is that going to impact where we need to go on the ice does that mean the slowest guy goes out first or the fastest guy goes out first where do we go from one to four if there's four of us in our skating speed like are they even considering this and right now they're not that's okay but where do we go on the ice well where's the puck are we on offense defense so there's all these scenarios that they should be talking about but what happens on a bench richard when you're playing a full ice game uh end to end one minute buzzer two teams so you got two changes one one change is on the ice one change is on the bench one to one work to rest ratio and you're 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 playing at a high pace for 20 30 minutes before you stop to do a debrief typically what happens is the kids are just catching their breath and a quick shot of water they're watching the clock to see when the time is up so that's the first thing that's going to happen but i'm watching to see not just that and, and it is important to have their eyes on the clock because they know at the minute it's going to buzz but they also need to be scanning and watching the ice surface to see where will the whistle blow in what end zone where's the coach where am i because the puck's going to come to me and i'm going to start the next uh, rush so to speak and i and now i'm incorporating passing to my goalies so i could pass to either goalie so now they're, they're where's dean where's he maybe going to pass to so they're trying to anticipate in transition are they going to be on offense or defense and then i might fake one way pass to the other goalie at the far end so they're like geez i thought i was on offense now we're on defense what are we going to do so they've got to manage this chaos and they should be talking about it on the bench explicitly and then when they start to go on the ice they they know they have a better idea where to go but it's a work in progress and, it, and this is we've done it for four practices richard but they're getting better at it so when you're talking about setting intentions for practice and uh and purposes you're applying critical thought processes to what you're trying to do in any given practice with the intention of of getting the players to apply critical thought processes to what they're going to do such as where they go on the ice at any given moment in a line change so you know to give you an example of some of the stuff that i see fairly often uh, at, at all levels, ages, boys, girls, is uh, coaches who are not involved in a game, let's say a small area game or a drill, but the coaches are doing the passing. Like they'd be jokers on the side and in a zone or or standing in the middle of the rink or you know someplace where the kids have to pass to them first or they get a choice to pass to a coach. And my response to that has always been, uh, in a game, the coaches are not on the ice. The coaches make perfect passes and see things far differently than the 12-year-olds or 16-year-olds do. Uh, let's make the kids make those decisions. We're afraid to let the, the kids fail at making bad passes, seeing a play and all of a sudden the hole that was there has suddenly closed up because they didn't react fast enough. But we're not allowing the kids to apply the critical thought skills that we want them to develop because we're afraid that they're going to mess it up. They're going to mess up the the plan. They're going to mess up the drill. They're going to, you know, mess up the game. And um, and as I say to coaches, but it happens in a game anyway. They mess it up. You know, if they can make two passes in a row in, in a game, you're doing well at some age levels. You know, to get three passes in a row is an enormous achievement. You know, we you just sent me that video I think it was, you sent me the video, yes. right, of that soccer team making 26, 26 passes in a row before scoring a goal. The other team never touched the ball. Can you do that in hockey? Obviously not. You know, you don't have the same control over a puck as they do over a ball. But, um, you know, we want the, the players of any age to develop those skills. It takes time to develop those skills. 
but we have to put them in situations where they are going to have an attempt to develop those skills. Well, I think with mine, my other intention is um, head up, and that encompasses lots of things. Head on a swivel, um, shoulder checking, scanning, really paying attention to your visual cues so you understand time and space. Um, you know, we've already gone through a couple of things, and I guess it comes back to, you know, what is hockey to me as a coach? And then what is my philosophy as a coach and how do I apply my philosophy to what I believe is the essence of the game? And I'm, you know, work in progress. I'm still, I'm still isolating in my own mind what the most important things are. I've got a really good idea now after 30 some years, um, but it's very simple. And I mean, it, it really strikes me. I was having a conversation with a, a fellow that I met in Minnesota a few weeks ago, and I guess he's kind of followed some stuff when I had my blog and, and, and follows this podcast. So John sent me two very good emails about, um, here's what he presents in, I believe he's U15 or high school hockey in Minnesota, and he wanted me to provide some feedback like as a critical friend so I, I I've done one I've got to do the other and and one of the things I said in the email was you know the first one was a list almost essentially of all the items that he was trying to essentially get through in one video session with his players you 15 boys probably I guess high school um, not sure the level and yeah, and I liked he was using questioning and, 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 and tasking them to look at, you know, two to 10 minutes of video. And then he had a, a, a long list of questions on, you know, offense, defense, um, et cetera, et cetera. He had, he had quite a detailed list of questions. And one of the things I thought, like, I, I love the fact that he's using video to teach, of, like video of his own team playing, and then the kids break it down. I thought that was great. I thought it was great that he was tasking with questions. But the one thing I found was, or I felt was, there was far too many questions and far too many detailed questions. And there was a lack of definitions behind some of those questions. And the whole thing about critical thought is, um, you know, one of the big things is you need to learn to ask questions. And there's a really good quote and it says, a problem well stated is a problem half solved. And it's Charles Kettering, he worked for GM. And I thought it's a very, very good quote when it comes to critical thought, because a lot of times we fail to ask the right questions or we don't ask the right depth of the question or we mislead it or we add too much to it. And I think what this fellow in Minnesota was doing is great approach, great um, idea to use video and to ask questions. But I said to him, I think you need to become more simple. And I think you need to only ask a couple of questions of the group at a time, not like a list of like five to 10 questions. And in one session, like, like maybe you break it up into smaller groups and you have four groups and you say, you guys ask the first three, next three, next three, next three, and then we'll share, right? Or you do this, everybody does the same three questions, but we'll only do those three questions on this piece of video next week we'll have three different questions. You know what I mean? We're trying to accomplish too much in a scattershot approach, I think, Richard, when it comes to coaching minor hockey. And I go back to the education system, meaning certification. We, we, we present all this information to these, these usually inexperienced coaches and from soup to nuts, and we're throwing everything at, at these people saying, Here's what you got to teach to run Timbits, to run U12, to run U18. And they're going, oh, my God. And then you've only got 50 practices this year to run it. Um, and you've got to tick off as many boxes as you can. And the traditional approach is we isolate and micromanage every one of these components so that we do it in um, isolation from what really happens in a game. And then we hope, like we're, we're deconstructive reductionist coaches. And then we hope that come game day, maybe we'll throw it all together in one game before we play and, and hope for the best. And that's not how, how life works. That's not how memory works from short term to long term. It's not, it's not efficient. 
and we end up missing the mark with our shotgun because we're blasting holes in the entire wall rather than, like I said at the start, after 30 some years, I have a pretty good idea and a pretty simple idea of what matters in, in hockey. And I'm only going to focus on a few simple things and everything else, because I'm playing games all the time, there's contextual cues, everything else takes care of itself. I'm not going to get into the certification program because <clears throat> I would just go off, off, you know, foaming at the mouth about <laughs> the, the lack of content, the lack of direction. There is no critical thought in, in that program, probably at all. But, uh, what I've seen, let's let's take one one small element of of what we see in coaching right these days, which is the use of small area games, whether it's two on two, three on three, four on four, and the the innumerable ways in which these can be set up. and and uh, you know, there are so many ways that that coaches are doing these games with nets in every different configuration you can imagine, numbers of players, how long the shifts are. What I'm seeing, Again, on both the boys' side and the girls' side, I'm working in a girls' association, but the boys are, you know, right in the same building most of the time. Coaches are using the small area games without giving a whole lot of thought as to the uh, the intentionality, to use your terminology, uh, the purpose behind the game. They're saying that, well, we're going to do this three against three half ice game. We're going to put one net on the goal line and one net at center ice. And we're going to play three against three because we really want to work on uh, puck possession, let's say. So they let the game go and they don't ask any questions. They, they just figure that if it's three against three and a half a rink, the kids will have the puck more often. Therefore, we have worked on puck possession. True. Which is true. But, you know, was there anything? speaking. Pardon me? Superficially speaking, true. Yes. Yes, it, it is true. But what else is there to it? Do you just want puck possession or do you want, you know, to regain the puck from a battle? And how do you do it? What about the transitions? What about the uh, the changing in lines? Or as you said before, you know, are, are you going on offense or on defense? What happens if you threw a fourth player in there and one team had four and the other team had three? What are the ideas you're trying to get across that go beyond just puck possession? Because puck possession in a hockey game, in minor hockey, is relatively short. Your team may have it for five seconds, which is a very long time at some age levels. You know, you watch nine-year-olds play. <laughs> I think I sent you the video the other day of uh, U10, I think it was U10 boys uh, practice. The first 20 minutes, I sent you a short clip of about 20 seconds. The first 20 minutes was the same drill done various ways, which I've seen all teams do at every level. Skate up to the middle of the ring, go around a pylon, come back, go through another pylon, pick up a puck, go take a shot. They did that for 20 minutes. And I know they did it for 20 minutes because I was bouncing back and forth between watching that and watching what was going on in the adjacent rink in this facility. So there was no intention to it. It was just a drill. We'll you know. go back to our last podcast when Neil was on and we're talking about Raymond Verheyen or, Verheyen or whatever. Verheyen. Uh, um, CDEF. What... What communication exists in that <clears throat> drill between and within the players? None. What what de what decision making has to happen within the brain of the players? How do they execute that decision making? And is there any element of fitness in it? And I would probably I would probably think that it's a it's a no on those four accounts. It's a it's a it's a contrived non contextual pattern that we're building a robot and then hoping because we've deconstructed this all down here at game time hopefully they put this back together with an opponent and a time clock and pressure and teammates and a referee and rules and offsides and icings and nets and you know tripping and boarding and and then perform it's it's it just boggles my mind and unfortunately that's 20 minutes that you and all those kids and the parents that are paying for that crap will never get back. But it's not taught. The coaches don't know what they don't know. You no, and I have been... I mean, what's, what's getting taught there, Richard? Uh, what's, what do you mean? Like, it's not about... They're not teaching individual skating skills and puck control skills and passing and shooting. That's maybe what they're hoping. But what's getting taught there is 
let's break the game down into these tiny little <laughs> levels and then hope like crap that it it, it rematerializes come game yeah time. no i meant the coaches the coaches aren't taught what oh, it they're means not. they're, they're, no. they're anti-taught richard that they are taught that that's the traditional way that they've been taught yes and it gets reinforced in coaching clinics and i know you don't want to go there i don't either that's another thing but the process of how we teach learning has not changed at the coaching clinics no so no, what can hasn't. we expect we expect more of the same that's why we have to do more instruction outside the coaching clinics. And even when you look at the content of the, the various individual skill clinics that, you know, that hockey Canada <clears throat> has, those aren't teaching um, thought they're teaching drills. They're teaching patterns, skill skills. stuff and, and patterns and, and, and so on and so forth. And I don't but, care how good you can skate, handle a puck pass and receive without pressure around pylons or mm -hmm. spray paint or, you know, um, phantom figures out there that would normally be checking you. Like none of this stuff matters a hill of beans until you put them into a game and then it's time to perform under realistic I, situations. I would like to pose this question to a group of coaches in an association that I've had no connection with, you know, somewhere. They they invite me in and they say, Richard, can you help our coaches develop some critical thought? And I my my opening would be this, Dean. What would happen if there was medical research today that said that standing within five feet of an orange plastic cone <laughs> caused cancer? What they'd would stand, you do? Stand five and a half feet away, Richard. No, what, no, what would you do? So this comes under the heading of the, the course I told you I took years ago in, in Montreal at McGill. Uh, it was called Cognitive Research Trust, Court, which was designed by Edward de Bono, a well-known philosopher and teacher of, of thinking systems, I guess you could call it, where I think I gave you the example before we got on the air, Dean, of, you know, of looking at the, the various pluses, minuses, and interesting components of what if all cars were yellow. Now, it's maybe silly to, to, to say that all cars would be yellow, but what if all cars were yellow? What if, as in Cuba, there were no cars uh, newer than 1970? What do you do? It creates a cottage industry of mechanics, you know, making your own parts, et cetera, et cetera. Is it positive or negative? So let's look at the pylons. If we, if there was proof that being within a few feet of that plastic was a cancer-causing agent, what would coaches do? I know what they would do. They would chop up pieces of wood they've got in their garage, <laughs> put little, put little nails on the bottom of it, as I've seen coaches do, and use those as pylons. I was going to say they would paint them a different color or get a different. Well, well, no, you can't. You but go. you can't be within five feet of the pylons. You'd have to come up with something else. So they would come up with other types of objects to go around. Why? Because we've always seen that you have to have objects to go around. That includes face-off dots, face-off circles, other players, other coaches, etc. Because no one has said, have you thought about this at all? Have you thought about the application of what you do in practice has to carry to a game, practice to game, which makes sense to any coach at any level. What we do in practice has to carry over to a game. I, I think hockey sense is one of the most often talked about topics from minor hockey to pro or game intelligence. Doesn't even matter the sport. And in the past, I think that it's been perceived as an innate skill that you're either born with it or you're not, and you can't teach it. I've always been of the Im impression that you could improve it and even starting in the 90s when i was thinking about this topic i was being exposed to people that were actively doing research studies around this and i thought maybe you can't but then i thought oh, maybe you can and but i challenged my own beliefs and and came to my own conclusions and i think that you can now but again that's another example of emerging critical thought because at the time i didn't know what critical thought was um but I was always debating, how can I get better as a coach? What what aspect of my coaching do I need to bring in more in order to allow the teams to have more success? And and hockey sense was always 
at the top of the list and and then the ability to skate at whatever the level is and handle a puck shoot check i mean those are all the basic tick boxes right but if you didn't have a brain and you couldn't think the game that's ultimately a severely limiting factor some years ago and i'm i think it's it's a probably around 2004 2005 somewhere around there there was um a survey done of um major junior coaches and I don't recall if it was just the OHL or whether it was Canada wide, but it was answered by quite a number of coaches asking what were the, the most important things that they were looking for in players coming out of Bantam at that time. So 14 year olds, 15 year olds. And uh, except for the odd one that would say the ability to shoot or, you know, skate both ways or something for them, the, almost exclusively it was the ability to think because if they can think then we can put them in whatever position or situation we want on our team and they will be able to adapt. Now that again is looking at the elite level. You know, it's the CHL is pro hockey for kids. Well, I remember pro, that survey yeah. and that's what it was based on. I think they were looking at, it was for the CHL or they were looking at the, you know, the Bantam draft or the major mm -hmm. draft in Quebec, whatever they call it. Right. The guys moving into major junior. Yes. And it was, they, they, <laughs> Um, they looked at all, asked all the scouts and I think the GMs, mm -hmm. what's the number one criteria or the most important criteria for you right. to select a player? Hockey IQ. Or, you know, that's the, that's the parlance today is hockey and, IQ. And even right there, Richard, when you say the ability to think, like I can't remember the exact thing, if it was hockey sense or yes. hockey IQ games, whatever. But even then, what is hockey sense? Like they didn't define it. Nobody defined it. And that's a lack of critical thinking. It's just, oh, well, everybody's going to know what we, t what we mean when we say hockey sense. And that's one of the big things I've learned through Cardiff Met and the PhD. Like you really got to, like you ask a lot of questions and the quality of your questions matter. Just like Charles Kettering said, the problem well stated is half solved. So the better that you can define your question. And then the next thing is clarity of terms. What do you mean by hockey sense? Like, let's have a conversation around, show me what are actionable behaviors that demonstrate hockey sense. So it's not just this nebulous, well, you know, you can think and you make the right decisions. Well, great. What's the right decision? When you say a decision, what's right and what's wrong? In what instance? So you really got to, it's a pain in the butt, but you got to drill down several levels to get a good clarity of terms on any of the stuff that we're talking about today and come to a consensus because as Neil said in the last podcast and, and we've talked earlier, language is so important. And yet we throw around these terms all the time with the assumption that you and me and Neil and John the Colombian and have the same um, idea of what is hockey sense. And that's five different people. We could have five different perspectives and five different meanings. So we need to come to some sort of a uh, uh, an agreed upon definition of what our terms are. And that's a good example of critical thought. So how many, how many coaching staffs have that discussion? If they all agree, yeah, you know, hockey sense is number one. We gotta, we gotta have a, we gotta have a possession team this year and we gotta have a team with full of hockey sense. Great. What does that mean? This is where it, I wish I had the the connections or the power or whatever to be able to be a fly on the wall for uh, let's say a major junior or professional hockey team, having not been at that you know those levels myself, uh, or even like the Toronto Raptors basketball team. You know what what is basketball sense? What is basketball IQ? What are they looking for? It's a somewhat different sport. But the, the essence of, of the, the critical thought process is the same. Or looking at, you know, Toronto FC out here where I am in, in, in the GTA. What is the thought that is going into this? What are they doing to try to develop those things? I, I'm just, I'm curious because I've spent so many years and so many hours talking with minor hockey coaches or junior coaches and seeing how superficial they are. They just don't know what they don't know. And the conversations are full of cliches, you know, and you hear it in the media. Um, I listened to Daryl Sutter's post-game press conference today on the, the fan as I was running some errands. And 
the other thing though you have to realize to the general public when you're on the inside working at that level the goal is not to give any information or any detail to the media or anybody you just play the cards close to the chest so in that if you're if you're trying to judge daryl's press conference from that side he did an amazing job his answers were at best five to eight words long per sentence and um invited you know it invited clarification from uh, the press and i and one of his comments was is that a question what's the question so the guy had asked and he no five to eight words like you didn't learn anything like he was restating the obvious and he wasn't really using cliches he was just you know short and to the point and nebulous and that's what people res that's what people expect from him and they know they ain't going to get anything else it's uh like that nfl coach um bill belichick his press conferences are notorious for that but you don't want anybody to know what you're thinking or whatever at that level right like you're not giving anything away but on the other side you're going geez we can't get any information out of this guy now you put that into a minor hockey context and you have a coaching staff talking about stuff and like we just said you're throwing around all these terms or we're using cliches but we don't really truly dig down deeper and we don't get the the real critical terms understood so that we have a commonality and once we have that common understanding now we can gather the relevant data or the ideas and then we can start to think through what are some potential solutions or conclusions we can reach and how can we you know maneuver our practices or our thinking or our our coaching to try to uh, you know consider some alternatives of what we believe now and grow our thought process so that then we can communicate that effectively to our players and start to make real progress and that's critical thought in a nutshell but it requires work and energy and time and effort and practice and failing and succeeding who has time for that who has time like hey i all i know is i got to practice tomorrow i got to come up with 60 minutes and maybe it's my practice tomorrow and maybe it's your practice the next day and you and i don't even have a chance to talk between practices because we got to run off somewhere we're volunteers and we're not getting paid and we don't have the time and there's a million and one excuses and steve norris would just say i don't care if you're a volunteer you owe it to the kids and the environment and the experience that they're going to have to do and act like a professional and you got to carve out some of that time and you got to make it happen you shouldn't be in your position the so, whole the whole hockey canada board of governors group were all volunteers yep just to make that one point, I don't want to get into that discussion at all. No. But I mean, some of the discussions I've had with coaches over the years have been really, I don't know if the word interesting is the right word, but um, edifying. I, I, I don't, you know, I had one coach tell me you know, when I suggested that they do, they teach positional play and where to stand on faceoffs, do it off the ice, do it in the parking lot do it on the board in the room. There's lot, just don't spend time standing still on the ice doing it. I don't have time to do all that. I'm, I'm going in every which way. I have a job. I have a family. I'm, and I had no answer for it. I, I just looked at him and I thought, wow, you can't take 15 minutes in the parking lot to, <laughs> to show kids where to stand on a face-off. Or you know? diagram it out or, and just take or, a picture of it. Or, or... Pick, and send it to them. Yeah, sure. There's so many ways to do it. So that, it, it, I always hear something that takes me aback that there was a, a coach of a higher level team that I remember speaking to once, not too long ago and uh, asking about, you know, how the team is doing, where you think the weaknesses are, the strengths, a little bit of thought. Well, can we apply some critical thought to what this team is about, where this team is going? Why is it going to go there or not? You know, what is your approach he was not able to answer any of the questions with anything more than superficial. Well, we like to do certain kinds of drills because, you know, uh, you know, we want to have faster skaters or something. It was, it just pointed out me. Is it just his fault or is it the fault of what he is a sub an object of? He is the object of our education system and coaching the school system or he's 
just not a very thoughtful coach, uh, regardless of how the team does. And it was a higher level team, which is a bit frightening if you're a kid on that team and the parent of a kid on that team. Well, it's out there and it's, I mean, unfortunately, I think there's, you know, everybody has a busy life and a lot of people are voluntold into coaching. Mm -hmm. um, many want to coach and they bring different motivations and perspectives and a lot of them are just, they're caretakers. You know, I would say babysitters is probably, you know, the lowest level and then caretakers would be a step above that um, and then there's some that are curious and some that want to do better and learn and and do well and you know it, it's really a it's a crapshoot you don't know year to year often what kind of coach you're going to get in minor hockey and out here it really depends on who, which kid makes which team because then that and they go to the parents and say okay who's got coaching credentials and experience who's available who's put in for it in the double a triple a you have to apply and you're not allowed to coach your kid so now you've got somebody completely outside of perhaps who you know in the past and then they're vetting using their own processes whatever those may be and whatever they think is important and then you're just kind of handed these coaches so at the end of the day it, it is a crapshoot and you know, our, our current certification programs are proposing a certain way to teach and learn. They're outdated, drastically outdated and need to be updated. What do you do? And I think this is a great topic because, um, you know, of critical thought here in coaching, because the only thing that any coach can control is themselves. And if they want to get better, then take a look at critical thought and start to develop it on their own and and figure out how to do it and i think um, one of the things that i've learned through teaching at the university level with coaching courses is some of the material that coaches association of canada has on making ethical decisions and they list a i think it's a six-step process or something you know memory escapes me but um you know six seven simple not even pair uh, not even a paragraph like a sentence bullet points and if you take those bullet points and look at it and say instead of making an ethical decision it could be how to process critical thought or put it into action right know the facts identify the required info list the concerns develop possible resolutions evaluate the resolutions and recommend an action so just doing those things and applying that sequence of steps to your own practice plan or whatever decisions you have to make. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty functional backbone to start people down the path of critical thought. I, I agree with you, except that all of that is done in an online course. It takes about 45 minutes that you have to get 75% to pass. So coaches I've spoken to have said that, yeah, they've taken the MED online courses or course for their required level. They did it by having it up on the screen, watching a TV game or TV hockey game or, or going for a beer, going to the bathroom or something and, and then coming back, answering the question because they skimmed it because they can take as much time as they want to do it. There's no interaction on it. There's no give and take. It's asynchronous. So uh, it's, and it's done with slides, you know, uh, so there's no real learning and coaches just go through the motion because there's no follow-up but I've taken the MED. So I know when I, when I did it, I've done it, you know, years ago, but as a teacher in the coaching program, I had to know that material. So I had to look at it more carefully to be able to ask the right questions in class of coaches about, so what did you think about these, these steps? But because it's presented online on a slide with a voiceover, there's no interaction. There's no learning. There's no discussion. There's no give and take. Uh, and these are done, uh, they're, um, and they're generic. They're not specific to hockey for the most part. So what does it mean? What, you know, what training do the coaches get? Well, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I, I don't, for me, I, I, it, within my university class, I mean, that was a thing that we took probably two classes to go through. So uh, we were 75, 90 minutes each. Right. I would present case studies to different groups. They would have to read them, think, talk, come back. Dem, you know, demonstrate their 
application of those six yes. or seven points to come to a conclusion. It was on the exam. I would have different case studies on the exam. So they would learn what the process is, what the key questions are, right. and then be presented with something in a test where they would have to remember long-term memory. Okay, if I am presented with something of an ethical nature, how would I do it? I don't care about any of that. All I'm suggesting here is, yes, there's problems with online asynchronous learning. But those six or seven key bullet points, even if you're a coach taking one of those online courses, if you have it written down somewhere and you can take that away, because you're a curious coach, there's going to be lots that aren't, whatever. They're not going to do anything with it anyway. But if you are a curious coach and you want to become better at critical thought, write those down, put on an index card, keep it in your wallet, your binder, whatever, type it into your phone, whatever you do, and use those steps and, and, and sit down and think about your practice using those, those simple questions. Ask them of yourself and your own practice, what went well and what didn't. Analyze, talk it over with your coaching staff. Ask your players, give, a, give your players a voice. What did you think of this? What, what, what worked well, what didn't? And I think that goes back to my practice template. Like this year, I have my intentions. And then after we do something, we take about five minutes. And, and, and you, you've said five minutes is too long. No, it's not. Because my guys are one-to-one -one work to rest or one-to-two work to rest. They're busting their hump. And they're playing for 15, 20, 25, 30 minutes. There's no rest. There's a minute on, minute off. Then we take a break, grab a water, that takes 30 seconds. Go get your water bottle, come back, sit in your teams, think, pair, share, or think 30 seconds. There, now we're up to a minute. Now share with your team or your color. I give them another minute, minute and a half. They're still catching their breath, they're talking. And then I sneak around with my coaches and we listen into the conversations. And then we'll say, hey, that's a good point. You're going to share that up when we, when we come back together as a group. And then we allow one or two people to share something quick maybe there's a whiteboard involved and they have to show something stand them up let them do it and then plant a seed for the next thing great let's keep doing more of this less of that what else can we also work on on a tactical line change not including what we talked about here today you're going to start to think and then I will guide them with further Socratic prodding Back to your benches. Hey, guess what? Five minutes is up. We're on the fly again. Boom, boom, boom. Done. We've done two high-intensity periods of action games for 50 minutes out of a 60-minute practice with two five-minute after-action reviews or debriefs to plant seeds, review, move stuff from short-term memory to long-term memory. We're using terminology that hopefully we've clarified with the kids and I, I, I still need to do a, a better job at that to make sure they understand what I mean. I sometimes take for granted some of the definitions, right? And we're done. There's a 60 minute practice. We've done two things. Yeah. Well, what do you do with the pylons though? <laughs> yeah. What, what pylons? <laughs> yeah. The, the, they cause cancer. They're often. The I've problem. heard, I told you there's medical research that I hope listeners aren't thinking that Richard, what, what, medical research about pylons. I made it up. It's not true. Yeah. Better, better, better put that in the show notes. Richard. I'll put that in the show notes. There is no research that indicates that pylons of any color uh, are cancer causing. All right, Dean, we, we're hoping to get a very special guest on the next couple of weeks. I'm leaving that to you because you know him pretty well. Um, and I won't even say his name, but he's out your way. And um, we've uh, thought critically about what we were going to say today. And uh, hopefully we've explained a little bit about critical thought in, uh, in coaching and specifically coaching minor hockey and uh, coaches know that they can reach me at Richard at grassroots minor hockey.com. Uh, we have our Twitter feed uh, addresses at the bottom of the show notes. So you can always contact us through that. Dean, uh, any final thoughts in your defense? Well, I think, it would just be cool if, if some coaches um, picked up on those six or seven points and perhaps you can include show notes. And um, uh, if I have something I can send you, like an article or two, I, I will, you know, along the lines of critical thought that's not, you know, more practical than academic. 
and the um, the other thing might be interesting was to show that um, that YouTube clip of the um, Argentina versus uh, Montenegro in 2000 just to show the YouTube link and um, just amazing if you want to see an example of a purposeful possession game and move the ball down the field with the intent because it's not about just possession but you're trying to score that's why you possess and it's also you can't get scored on if you got the ball and it's just a fabulous finish to that it uh, is that sequence yeah. of passes thank you dean we'll uh we'll be in touch as always and uh as, as i've said to uh earlier if you want to get hold of me it's richard at grassrootsminorhockey.com and you've been listening to grassroots the minor hockey show podcast explaining critical thought in coaching especially minor hockey thank you dean we will be in touch and to everyone listening thanks for listening <laughs>